Hello and welcome to the Speak Philly podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Carano. One of the things that's in the media quite a lot recently is the fourth industrial revolution, with technologies such as artificial intelligence and the Internet of Things completely remaking our economic, social, and political lives. One of the most technically complex of these technologies is blockchain, the infrastructure behind such cryptocurrencies as Bitcoin and Zcash, as well as the uh, basis of the distributed computing platform, Ethereum. Now, for people not uh, technically minded such as myself, understanding this world is quite difficult. So I sat down with uh, Daniel Gorbatenko, a PhD researcher in economics at Marseille and an investor in various blockchain startups to discuss this technology. I hope our discussion is uh, interesting to you, the listener. Enjoy. Hello, Daniel. How are you doing today? Fine, fine. Thanks, Ryan. Enjoy to be with you today. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you for joining. Um, Before we get into the more technical aspects, let's just... I just want to ask you a more uh, rudimentary question for our listeners. What is blockchain technology? Yeah, well, that's that's obviously a question which can have a very complex, a very simple answer depending on, but depending on the technological specificities and stuff. But I think that for our listeners, it will suffice to say that well, a blockchain is essentially a database which is maintained simultaneously by a lot of computers. So it's a distributed database. And it has certain algorithm of updating itself, essentially. So it can usually, at least at this point, um, all blockchains update themselves with incoming transactions, but not necessarily transactions of merely transferring value, transferring value, but also, but with uh, smart contract transactions. So the way this sounds to me, um, it looks like there's about, there's like a technical uh, barrier to enter into this market. Um, As this type of technology pervades more and more of everyday life, do you see this as having a kind of, um, bifurcation and who gets involved in in processes let's say of bank transactions as banks are using blockchain you see like one of the arguments against making things more digital uh, is that people don't understand it but as this kind of technology it seems so uh, pervasive if i don't understand it let's say I'm, I'm i'm 60 years old and it's hard for me to learn this technology does my life come harder yeah, I, I understand in the sense that if if this takes over, like all the money transfers and the banks disappear, but if if it if this reaches this level, and maybe, but seeing I'm not seeing we will touch upon this certainly, but I'm not seeing this happening like at least within the next like 10, 20 years. I mean, as, as we'll probably discuss it, I'm, I'm optimistic relatively about the technology, but I don't, I don't think that the most rosy picture kind of um, scenarios are gonna, are gonna get realized, but, but, but I don't know. I mean, of course it's difficult to predict technological innovation. So it's, 
Yeah, so, so, okay, so there's, uh, what, what you just said there is, it's difficult to predict, but you have a cautiously optimistic view. So, what, with that cautious optimism, what are some of the, um, pros you see for society at large? Like, I can understand the pros from the industry perspective, they're doing a lot of work, but for the average consumer, what are some of the pros you see of, uh, more blockchain? Um, well... It actually it actually could could allow a lot of things with much uh, well the biggest especially I mean the smart contract technology which which Ethereum and potentially blockchains which may displace Ethereum in its current role but there are none yet but but there are some projects which are under development I mean the thing the blockchain potentially allows especially the smart contracts is um, reduction of transaction costs in, and it enables potentially the existence of of um, transactions which are unimaginable now, for example. I mean, I don't know how much technically it's feasible, although it probably is. Now it's very difficult to allow people to pay, for example, to, make, to get people to pay for access parks, for example, to parks which are not especially to parks which are big, which are not like surrounded by by fans or whatever. But but with the blockchain technology, you can essentially um, allow once a person crosses a certain geographical boundary, the person will be, for example, and then once, once the person gets crosses it back again, uh, the person's wallet can be debited uh, by the amount of a micropayment which will allow kind of, this can allow all sorts of interesting implications for managing commons like parks, forests, I don't know, uh, water. With, with that kind of um, geo-tagging kind of thing where it's like you've entered into this area and you're charged based on it, doesn't that have some sort of privacy violation to it? You're, you're constantly having your information your location and what you do publicly available in a sense um and 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 for a lot of people that's a, that's a big concern um true yes but but on the other hand there are two things first of all um i mean there are many blockchains with different levels of anonymity for example blockchains like bitcoin and ethereum at the moment they only they publish most of the details, like dates of transactions, amounts, which are passed, etc. But you can have levels of anonymity which are stronger. But more importantly, I mean, even with Bitcoin and Ethereum, what gets published about you is your... So, in this, in, in, in this sense, I mean, of course, it's possible investigatively to trace in many cases, who an address belongs to, and etc. But it's not a trivial, it's not a trivial kind of um, thing to do. So, so, I mean, it's just too expensive to. I think the amount of white noise which will be contained, and so to speak, which will be contained in, in this information, it's like you know, I'm, I'm even in terms of like government spying on us on Facebook and stuff like that. I'm not that much concerned about it because if you try to Think about how much meaningless—well, not meaningless, but meaning meaningless for their purposes. 
information is in our like people sharing pictures of cats talking about whether they whether they are going to go out tonight and whatever i mean imagine someone trying to 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 go through this it's it's insane so i i, I don't really think that this is like really dangerous except when used directly against particular individuals maybe that that seems to me more of a, a technical response rather than a social response um because there will be that anxiety because you you've just kind of compared it to the current type of metadata surveillance and even though you can say that oh the the, the actual per violation of a particular individual's privacy is low on metadata surveillance there's a huge kind of social anxiety that comes out of that and if these technologies increase it is that a good or a bad thing it's certainly hard to say but but i think given how popular Facebook, for example, is, despite the fact that everyone knows that we are potentially, like, giving access to a lot of, a lot of information about ourselves, I think that it's a bit exaggerated. But for sure, there are a lot of, there are some people who are really concerned about that. And that's actually, actually, it's an, in, an interesting thing, because many of the blockchain projects, um, their, part of their public justification is actually to lower the exposure of people. for example the projects um you know one of the ethereum ecosystem projects is called uport and it basically it's oh, it's complicated to explain i didn't go in very deep in the details but it will be a form of like um electronic identity and it will be a form of electronic identity which uh, virtual identity which will allow you to only reveal while you're identifying yourself only to reveal certain things and not everything. And so many blockchain projects are same thing, like projects aimed at creating blockchain based uh, social networks and stuff like this. So, so there's, um, actually, it might be a kind of uh, double-edged sword here. So in one sense, yes, mm, there will be more information available. But on the other hand, it's not on, on the other hand, it, it might happen that actually there will be less information available or at least less information available in an easy easy manner and relatively easy manner so yeah that's that itself is is a separate like that's a yeah that's the what you just said on a double-edged sword separate concern so on the one hand more of your data can get collected now that's that's a, a concern we've dealt with but on the other hand it increases the opacity of everything so there's more data but it's harder to understand it now that seems like an odd transfer of power that okay first of all we've already taken your information and it's already available but it's now only interpretable to a specific set of people who are very versed in how to do it which means that if you are someone who wants to target a specific individual it opens up that possibility Whereas right now there's less data and all the data is easily checkable in a way. And that means you know what's kind of happening and everyone knows what's kind of happening. So do you think that this 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 kind of social pressure to say that it enables targeted evils to be allowed is a problem? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't want to completely, completely whitewash technological progress. I mean, in, in a sense, you know, no one would say we should 
get rid of electric grids and stuff like that, you know, especially highly, highly integrated ones and stuff. But we understand that, you know, for example, in some sense, I recently read a very interesting article about how Russia has been targeting the all the kinds of systems in Ukraine using ha hackers. And in the one weird, like, almost funny sense, some systems in Ukraine, while being sort of outdated, they're much more resilient to hacker attacks because they can be handled by emergency response teams and, you know, things can be repaired manually and stuff, whereas more sophisticated systems, while being generally better, um, are susceptible to extreme kinds of situations. So, so of course, in, in, in any, in, with any technological progress comes some downside, but I think in, in this case, just I can mention a few other interesting things, for example, like which micropayments can, can enable, for example, soon it will be possible, for example, if you have a bar near a, a lot of residential real estate, you can also make it possible when certain level of noise is exceeded, it will be possible um, to compensate, for example, the, the, the residents, uh, again, using just smart contract technology or it will also enable um, micropayments for using music um, for rewarding content creators on the internet and stuff like that. So, so I think I think this just out probably largely outweighs the, the the potential. Of course, bad things can happen. You know, like there are even more outrageous and potentially possible scenarios. You know, for example, there are some cryptocurrencies that are very poorly traceable, you know, by, by design, like Zcash, for example. Um, and the fear is that you can have markets for assassination, you know, using 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 highly untraceable cryptocurrencies. So of course, of course, but I think I think the benefits outweigh the the projects individually vary in terms of what they are um their benefit or their cost um and but you're saying that the the technology as a framework is more more beneficial now because we can identify which ones are riskier projects do you think that there's some room for kind of regulating these markets to ensure that the higher risk products so so the for example you just you, you mentioned zcash versus bitcoin in terms of its traceability now if we know the directed intent of zcash is a higher degree of anonymity versus we can say, okay, but it doesn't provide any added benefits beyond that. That seems like a problem. Should regulators step in? Well, first of all, it does because, you know, for example, it's difficult for many organizations to use blockchains like Bitcoin because, you know, when you have, because a big organization obviously is much more easily, its activity is much more easily traceable back to it than and the activities of users like you and me, you know, so, so in this sense, this is a big problem, for example, for banks or, or any firms, you know, they don't want their competitors necessarily to know what they purchased at what, what price and whatever. I, I, th I think you're responding to it more on the on the basis of um, that specific technology. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but uh, do you think that there's any case that could be made for, um, we can reasonably predict there are some negative consequences to this technology 
now we we know how that's going to occur so we regulate to make it more uh to mitigate those harms do you th is there an argument for that i'm generally against ex-ante regulation so so i think in this particular case it doesn't and also it's it's also very difficult you know it's even much more difficult than in the usual case because like some of the things which you can do in 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 the non-crypto world that they are very difficult to do in in the crypto world for example you can say everyone okay you must register um all of the addresses with the government but the problem is that you can create addresses at will you know it's like stuff like that you know it's very difficult you can of course tell people look and i think one major thing that the government can do to blockchains which basically is the only effective like uh, tool they have in their arsenal is to say is to prevent exchanges like because you know exchanges is a kind of a weak link here you know it's 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 the place where there is kind of a bottleneck you know it's exchanges from fiat currency to to the cryptocurrency so so in this sense of course the government can make it difficult but even there it's kind of limited because you know there there are services like local bitcoins for example which allow you to um buy bitcoins using western union for example and of course with western union you're not putting it's difficult to prove that the western union transfer of two thousand dollars was used to buy bitcoin you know so but i i don't think that it's 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 a technology which i mean what they can do, you know, for example, the biggest concern and the biggest resistance to blockchain technology comes from central banks, not surprising. Because central banks are afraid that if you have, like, money, like Bitcoin, for example, increasingly displacing, which is not happening yet, but if it starts happening, if Bitcoin starts displacing currencies like dollar, US dollar and, and stuff, it will be, of course, very difficult for banks to conduct monetary policy in the traditional sense of the word, you know, because if if central, if a central bank starts printing more money, people just can exit into into Bitcoin, you know, so it will act as sort of a gold standard. So, so, so in in so I think the government can succeed in preventing this, so but I don't see too much. That what, what's happening there is the idea that you can basically um, merge this kind of crypto world into the financial framework that already exists. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of regulators are afraid, because let's say another technology like artificial intelligence, it's already based in something that's regulated. Those, those industries are still regulated, but the crypto world is completely outside. It has its own free reign. Now, do you see... What, what do you see as the potential for merging that crypto world into financial institutions? Because you there's a trade-off there um, in terms of the flexibility you're offered in the crypto world versus what you're offered in the, in the financial world. To the banks themselves, they're very interested in these things like smart contracting technology that you mentioned. Um, it's just that the, the, the underlying framework of blockchain has already built a world on top of it. It's built this crypto yeah. world on top of it. What's that future of that that crypto world? If if I can say, 
a bank does the smart contract thing. It provides you with these kind of anonymity services. It provides you with the distributed ledger for, for things like uh, deeds and, and, and termed contracts, which really improve kind of accountability and all this stuff. The only benefit that, let's say, a government could see of not doing that in the in the legitimate banking space now is, oh, you want to conduct illegal activity because mm -hmm. everything is now everything, every benefit that you got there, it's allowed in a bank. So what if that if that's integration is happening with banks, what's the future of the uh, crypto world? I think in, in, in a situation where this is allowed to happen, I don't think there will be a huge growing and certainly there will be frictions and stuff but it's like integrating internet into the operation of businesses has been not an easy thing either but it hasn't brought a and in some sense it's still happening probably I mean, internet is only what like in any meaningful sense is only probably 30 years old and in 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 the mass scale sense it's probably 20 years old so so in this sense, I don't see any kind of fatal problem of whatever, but, um, and, and I also see, you know, many people see banks as just useless institutions, you know, which are just passing money from one part of the economy to another. I don't think, I don't think it's a good view of banks. So even if, even if blockchain can, te blockchain technology can, can, um, can kind of, automate away some of the functions they're doing, you know, maintaining accounts, stuff like that. It's or verifying clients or whatever. Still the core functions like matching, for example, matching uh, depositors to worthy um, investment projects. This is not, this is not going to be touched by the blockchain. You know, maybe artificial intelligence can, 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 can end that, but I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical about, and yeah. it's a different, big different topic anyway. Yeah, so that's the, the no, no, you're, um, we, we can see how the uh, financial sector itself is somewhat resilient, but I'm talking about more about like these, um, the kind of dark net um, things like Silk Road and all these kind of um, uh, cryptocurrency auction places. As all the the technology underlying that comes into conventional institutions because a lot of businesses see benefits to them like you mentioned about oh being able to to make payments more accurate um being able to constantly adjust prices all these benefits these are benefits for conventional institutions if they co-opt these benefits for themselves let's say what is a view of a government or regulator to say okay this this bitcoin auction site exists but everything you can do there you can do in the real world so why why would people choose it and the intuitive response would say people are choosing it because they can get away with selling drugs or weapons and so that's what's the future of that world given that more people are understanding blockchain and more people are using conventional applications for blockchain. I, I think that the world of Silk Road and stuff will probably continue existing as it existed without blockchain technology, you know, so, so, so in this sense, of course, it, it, 
it facilitates it a bit, but I don't think. So I think yeah, it facilitates the black markets a bit, but still, for the black markets, there is still the weak link. There is probably not is not so much uh, getting the money to pass, but but to but more in the delivery of you know of the product <laughs> to the to the consumers. So we understand that people are not going to stop consuming drugs, you know, whatever, no matter what. Um, governments do so so making this business a bit more civilized you know as silk road appears to have done is, is a good thing but and I'm, i don't think i don't think blockchain technology would will on the other hand i don't think blockchain technology will allow these markets to become like several levels more efficient you know whatever so, so you, you don't buy the argument that um, blockchain technology is facilitating um, and these cryptocurrencies are facilitating a much more expanded black market. The product and challenges of delivering it to the customer and stuff, I think they are much, much more important than the, than the payments architecture. There's a, a recent uh, development in a lot of Western countries in Europe and, and in the States to try to remove higher denomination bills from circulation to try to, to crack down on black market activity. Um, as the use of cash keeps dwindling, do you think this will serve as an incentive for people to start using cryptocurrencies uh, for transactions? Yes, yeah, certainly the, the incentive will increase. The only problem right now is basically the scalability. You know, the scalability in this space is a big is a big term, you know. In a sense, right now none of the existing blockchains allows um, many transactions to happen simultaneously, you know, in a sense I might be well, roughly like let's say something like Visa allows uh, tens of thousands transactions per second, you know, at peak, peak times, whereas Bitcoin or Ethereum probably allow like 10, 15 at their current, in their current form. So, so to, to allow, to allow a lot of transactions to happen at the same time, uh, like probably like several years need to pass before, before this uh, becomes Possible. Is there a structural reason why they don't allow that many transactions at a time? Yeah, of course, there is a the basic reason is that um, blockchain, as I said, the blockchain is something which gets, which gets, essentially, the way it's structured right now is that every computer, every node which is validating this database has to contain a copy of it. So, um, in, in this sense, of course, you understand that if you have lots and lots of transactions, then, then the pressure on... So so there is kind of a trade-off here. Either you have the whole system depending on a bunch of supercomputers, uh, which which kind of negates the logic of distributed trust in this system, you know, or, or you have... or you put huge pressure on particular nodes in the system. So... So the way, so there are several ways that trying to 
to solve this problem, one of them is to create something that they call lightning networks. Other approaches include um, include splitting the blockchain into something they call shards. So, so there are efforts aimed at solving this this problem. We'll see what we'll see what they. But I, I'm I'm hopeful because of how many very smart people are working on this. I think this will be solved at some. So, but if the, yeah, so if they solve that kind of trade off. Um, and they boost the speed of transactions while not sacrificing security. Do you think that that's, that's really, it takes away from the competitive advantage of using something like a Visa card? Yeah, certainly. Obviously, demographically speaking, you know, those people who participate in the crypto currently are mostly a special subset of the population. You know, it's mostly people who are, um, highly risk tolerant, who are sort of geeks and stuff like that. So these people um, are not going. Are not going in general to be de de deterred. You know, like one of the recent interesting cases. Um, one of the projects which I which I've been following, which is called Swarm City, it's it lost most of its funds uh, to a hack. But its team continued working on the, on the project, and so it continues to exist, even though it's it's been obviously impaired, in partly by by this hack. But so 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 I think it's it's a sphere which will go on. But of course, I mean, of course, it's yeah, it has a lot of problems and efficiencies. Also, it's open source, so it's you know, but it's fascinating to watch. I mean, not just. Not just in technical terms, but in how like you have everything there. You have politics. You have you have identities forming there. You have like almost religious conflicts. You know, it's it's fascinating. But yeah, as you said, it's a it's a very um, self-selecting group of people that are involved that are more risk uh, risk tolerant and more uh, technically capable. But as we were discussing, as more people are getting involved, um, and as this pervades more conventional institutions, um, there needs to be some kind of... You're, you're going to get an influx of people that are less risk tolerant. Um, do you think that there's developments in the way blockchain works to come up with some kind of institutional design? Do you need a kind of permanent arbitrator? Um, and are those developments occurring? Do we see signs of them? In a way, yeah, in a way, of course. First of all, there is, after what happened with the DAO and, and all the recent high-profile hacks and stuff, there is, a, of course, a much higher emphasis on security, you know, people people trying to make sure that, for example, smart contract languages which are used in the space are less exploitable by hackers, that much more audits are done before... Um, software is released that there are you know something they call bug bounties basically like a project which is a project team before releasing the project they said if you find critical problems with our software we'll pay, pay you say $50,000 or whatever so on the other hand on the institutional scale it's, it's a bit more, more complicated because 
it's part of the you know it's in the DNA of the open source that it's um, you can't control completely control the software but of course some things are happening you know like for example there is a project on Ethereum which is called Aragon which which whose point is to create um, to improve on the concept of decentralized organization the, the first of which has failed miserably but uh, and it, it they are trying to include an arbitration in in, in this mechanism so but but in general I would say I would say I would agree that there is maybe not enough emphasis at this point in the space on on the social aspect because because they they tend to most people there tend to come from really technical backgrounds you know who have like for example in the ethereum community they're now developing a new way of well not a completely new way but a a, a reliable version of a new way of forming consensus about about the blockchain, which is called proof of stake. Well, the details, if we go into them, it's very difficult. But 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 the point is that the way the assumptions they're making are very sort of they're sort of Hobbesian, you know, in a sense, even worse than Hobbesian. So so, <laughs> so so in the sense then they're not they're not they're not maybe paying enough attention to how you would resolve disputes and frictions because they think they can um, make make the software and algorithm and stuff so uh, failure proof that this won't be needed. But I think I, I think it will come. I think it will come when when more people who are not cryptographers and developers will come into this space. You know, so this this might be where you know some where people like economists, people like social scientists or just talented organizers can actually help. I mean, I think this, this can happen. Well, well that's, that's a good note. Uh, that's a good note to ask a question that's probably going to be more relevant to the listeners then, which is you've kind of charted a slightly optimistic trajectory of how it could develop, but there's a significant amount of risks and things occurring today. But there is a call for people who are, are who are less of the pure technical side and more of the ethical, social, uh, or business side of it. What can people who are listening to this podcast, for example, do to get uh, literate enough to be involved in blockchain space without being a developer? Well, certainly, first of all, you can get involved in it as as an investor, for example, and it's still relatively easy uh, all you need to do at this stage to be an investor and I'm not going to advertise any particular projects but the most easy way to get involved as an investor is purchase some bitcoins because you know bitcoin in a sense is a reserve currency in this space because there are many huge exchanges that exchange everything else into bitcoin like for example in the US the major US exchange of this sort is Polonix there are other like Kraken or Bitrex or some Chinese and East Asian exchanges. So you, so what you do is you buy Bitcoin, let's say on local Bitcoins, and then you deposit Bitcoins on on an exchange like that, and you can you can buy whatever you want, I mean, depending. Um, then, 
if you're not a developer, a lot of projects are now starting to look for, yeah, for business development, for people who could help with business development, with marketing and stuff, because they realize, they're starting to realize it's important. Because another very important thing in this space is communication, you know, because, I mean, you need to explain to people uh, why this why this is going to help you, but you also need to tell them in very simple terms what not to do, you know, or how how to technically use the software, but what not to do, you know, because a lot of people fall for very simple scams, for example, you know, people people create an identical copy of a website, for example, um, of a legitimate website, let's say, and, and use an address which differs from the real address only in one letter or in a different, you know, it will won't be, let's say, myetherwallet.com, it will be myetherwallet.com.me, something like this, you know. And uh, and then this website, of course, this is a website, it's kind of a online operating wallet, so it asks you for your private key, and once you put your private key into it, you lost your account and so a lot, a lot of people fall victim to such kind of uh, scams so so in, in this sense this fear will need a lot of uh, people capable of communicating well yeah business development so so i think yeah there is there is a potential not just for cryptographers or the idea is that there is a, develop, a need for development and communication. So the average person who comes out, let's say, a university with a degree in, in business management or a degree in public relations and this kind of stuff, what can they do? Um, are there any good sources to read to get kind of a more layman's understanding of the industry or of the technology? Um, yeah, I mean, although... First of all, there are books which are popularizing, so you can popularizing Bitcoin or Ethereum, which are relatively good. Uh, like there's a book called um, I think it's called Understanding Bitcoin and Mastering Bitcoin um, by Andreas Otonopoulos, and he and and the co-founder of Ethereum, Gavin Wood, are going to publish a similar book on Ethereum. Uh, which will be called, uh, um, I think, Mastering Ethereum. But it's already available, I think, for pre-order on Amazon. Then the biggest, the biggest like window for communication for most of this project is Reddit. Is other relative subreddits, you know, for example, subreddit of Ethereum or subreddit of Bitcoin on a general cryptocurrency subreddit. And there, basically, you can you can publish anything. Well. It's of course moderated, but you can ask questions if you if you have problems, and they have published uh, FAQs and and unfortunately I wouldn't I couldn't say that there is like some kind of a resource which you can um, just go to and and use the sort of an, an encyclopedia of like a wiki for the blockchain, which would be also like would answer all kinds of questions. But maybe I'm missing something, you know. Yeah, that, that that makes sense. But I think this this provides a good basis for for the listeners at least to understand that this, while it seems like kind of a closed and hard to understand field, there is a way to understand it. Um, but I think that's that's all we should have time for today. Um, I'd like to thank you for for joining and for all the uh, 
helpful information that you gave. Um, thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in next time where I'll have another guest talking about other relevant issues. Feel free to continue the debate by commenting or messaging us with your opinions. Thank you, and have a nice day.